Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best bookspiration. To help me, of course, are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Ah, yes, bookspiration, that most classic of themes. That's my favorite shelf. It, it's, yeah, the bookspiration shelf. Um, Nick, what you of course mean by bookspiration is books that have gone on to inspire other things. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever, sure. Sure. All right. Uh, Ian, if you're looking for the best bookspiration, I, uh, Nick, yes. also, use it in a sentence. Use it in a sentence. I am, I am actually this week, I'm the one who's looking for some bookspiration. <laughs> oh, I was very bookspired by a book I read recently. <laughs> <laughs> the book I read this week is called An Editor's Burial, which is, wait for it, I'm a waiting. collection of articles from the New Yorker uh, collected over the last. Oh, I don't know, 70 years or something like that by director Wes Anderson um, that served as the inspiration for his most recent film. Um, Do we have him here today, Joe? We do have him here today. Hi, I'm Wes Anderson. Look at my bow tie. Wow. Right into it. (laughs) Wes. Thank you for joining. Uh, us. No, it, it served as the inspiration for the for the movie, The French Connection, uh, which which I watched as well and is very hey, good. Is it the French Connection, or the French Dispatch, French Dispatch. Thank you. Yes, dispatch, uh, let me yeah. let me get Oops. a good take on that. Uh, which of course saved us. Wes, you've done forgot your own movie. <laughs> oh, sorry, Wes Anderson here. The name of my movie is The French Dispatch. Tee hee hee. Tee hee hee. Um. Uh, hello, Nick. Hello, Joe. Hello, Litheads. Hello, Wes. This <laughs> week, uh, this week, I'm Wes Anderson standing in for Ian DeYoung, and uh, I brought a book called Madam Doubtfire, which is uh, the inspiration, no. the bookspiration for... For what, I wonder? I can't imagine. Is there... No. It's no. the inspiration for a little movie I like to call The Lord of the Rings. The <laughs> 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 Fun fact, Sauron's actual name is Madam Doubtfire. Yeah, it's it's the inspiration for Mrs. Doubtfire, which doesn't really like when you think about Mrs. Doubtfire by itself, you're like, I couldn't think of that as a movie or as a book. Uh, but then I mean, it gets kind of obvious, you know. <laughs> Are you explaining Mrs. Doubtfire right now? No, no, no I'm, I'm I'm saying I'm saying like when you the 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 the, the general idea of Mrs. Doubtfire yeah doesn't doesn't seem like it could be a book because could. it's so visual right right but then you watch the movie but, and you're like oh yeah totally this could be a children's book and sure enough it's based on a children's book wow so mrs doubtfire so two things here number one mrs doubtfire was uh was a book first which is amazing is it a children's book is this thing 30 pages long ian it's not a children's book it's like a young adult it's a weird genre i'll talk about that it's, it's um young adult um and it's not to be clear it's not the book is not called Mrs. Doubtfire. It's called Madam Madame Doubtfire. Doubtfire. Also known as alias Madam Doubtfire, but I think I like just straight up Madam Doubtfire better. Oh yeah, definitely. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> I'm sorry. Ooh. I'm sorry. Sir. <laughs> I almost did. I almost did my, my introduction in the in the Robin Williams Mrs. Doubtfire voice. I was like, after the after the half hour I've had, I don't know if I can stick that way. <laughs> it's really like 
It's really hard. It's really good. R.I.P. Robin, gone too oh, soon. Friend yeah. of the show. Big Aww, friend of the show. That's so sad. Um, uh, well, welcome, Litheads. It's a You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, Strongly Podcast, where strongly every week podcast. I pick a theme, such as bookspirations, and <laughs> Ian and Joe bring book recommendations to high school English teachers who is more qualified um, and just to upset one of them, we pick a winner, uh, more so a loser, and um, not the books, just them. And we have some rules to keep us on track. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. And rule number three, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Or for short, only winning matters. Mm, uh, only winning matters. Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds or less, an option... None of you we, have ever. That we never really capitalize on. Ever here, really <laughs> flex. Um, and tell me what your book is about. Absolutely. Nick, when Wes Anderson was in high school, his homeroom was the library and his assigned seat was right next to the periodicals. In 11th grade, he picked up a copy of The New Yorker because it was the only one with drawings on the cover and he became... Nice obsessed and editor's burial the book i read this week is a collection of not only some of wes anderson's favorite articles over the years but articles that paint a picture of post-war france the new yorker and some of the most famous writers to ever publish there it's like a literary soundtrack for the movie very good timing so out of time so, yeah you did you did a good job nick you can mark that in your permanent record so sometimes like Monet. um various Ed- edgar wright does this a lot with his films where the soundtrack to the film is like very carefully curated to the yeah. point that it's almost like almost like a usually when 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 he or others do this, it's kind of um, it's all it's not an original soundtrack. It's cold, you know, from right. history, but right. um, it sounds like this is the sort of companion to the film the same way those Edgar Wright style baby driver right like when you when you watch um in Shaun of the dead when you yes. watch like the can't stop me now scene with the jukebox at the end of it right like that scene had to start with that song like right. like that right. like that that scene grew from that song mm-hmm. it's the exact same thing here these these articles are literally the bookspiration the inspiration for if you case you messed up uh, the bookspiration Please. for the film the film grew from these articles and uh, I'm going to start billing you when I give good ideas that accurately sum up your books. I'm going to no keep track of those. This is going to get expensive. Nick, <laughs> why don't we call them? You said book recommendations, I, I realized. Why don't we call them book emendations? God, we're going to run out of money paying you, we're Ian. We're wasting so much time around here. <laughs> Ian, you're our new CEO. Oh. Or CEO. <laughs> I don't know. Since we're Ciao. saving time today. Hey, can I can I talk about my book, please, for 30 seconds or less? Yeah, go for it. Great. In my book, as in the Robin Williams movie, a divorced husband dresses up as a stereotypical British housekeeper in order to keep seeing his kids. Unlike in the Robin Williams movie, he's gross in my book, petty Aww. and somewhat scary. This week, I read Madame Doubtfire, the unlikely bookspiration for the 1993 film Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, when you say he comes across as like petty and scary, it just dawned on me for the first time in my life that the fact that Robin Williams doesn't come across as petty and scary with amazing. the premise of that movie is amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's straight up creepy. It's insane. I mean, yeah, I've rewatched <laughs> it in like my later years and um, it, it does still at moments skew pretty disturbing. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, but, like, but like this is a guy who is like really invading somebody's life. Like <laughs> if this was not a comedy, this would right. be a full on psycho. You know how they're redoing, they're rebooting everything. And, you know, uh-huh. on some of the yes. reboots, they're doing like a dark turn. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This is uh, uh, ripe for a dark turn. <laughs> a I dark, think one of the darkest turns possible. Kills yeah. everyone. Well, I don't, didn't say that. I don't even think you'd have to go that far. I think it could just be not Robin Williams and it would be dark. <laughs> right. Just like 10% <laughs> right. more invasive. And it'd be like, oh, well, this is horrible. So th- there was actually, there was actually a, uh, a sequel in the works to miss the Mrs. Doubtfire movie for right. many years. Uh, apparently Williams like turned it down multiple times because he didn't Makes like sense. the, yeah. didn't like the script, turned it the down idea. like three separate scripts because they were all bad. And then when he passed, obviously they were like, we're, we can never, it's done. So I heard uh, that's why he killed himself. The script. Was oh, so that's no, that's <laughs> talk about dark. Wow. <laughs> I just think it's guys, it's really interesting that we, we've done a lot of these kinds of episodes with the the sort of like movie book thing yeah because so yeah. I, I as i was as i was preparing i was thinking back and i was like haven't we done book inspirations already mm-hmm. and we have done faithful mm-hmm. adaptations <laughs> which is uh lithead supreme mm-hmm. gina's recommendation of 84 charing cross road mm-hmm. uh we did netflix adaptations which is oh uh we recorded that before army hammer was outed as a cannibal because mm-hmm. we made a whole bunch of army right. hammer jokes um we also did novelizations and in that one, Nick got really mad because Joe said something mean about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. That sounds yeah. right. So we've done, we've done a lot of these, and I'm just not sure why we, why we gravitate back to the, the We just keep going. We just keep doing it. That is a lot. Because movies are better than books. <laughs> <laughs> well, people do like movies. <clears throat> I actually, I, I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I listened to an interview with Jack White the other day of the white stripes and also of Jack White. And he kind of talked White. about that. He didn't want to play guitar. Like when he was growing up, he didn't want to play guitar because every asshole played guitar, right? Mm. Like he, so he played the drums and he wrote poetry. And then he realized at a certain point that, Hey, if you want people to listen to your poetry, you got to play guitar with it. Like that's all there is to it. So maybe we keep coming back to these things because if you want people to read your book, you better make it into a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could, we could consider it as market research because you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to figure out how best to, to optimize too many butlers for, but we uh, already got the rock. So Mm -hmm. good there. Okay, did, did we did we actually like clear all that with his agents and stuff? Because we keep saying the rock, the rock, but I don't. He said I don't he's know on if, board, but twenty two million dollars. Like oh right. He's like, yes, I'm on board. My quote is twenty two million dollars. Everybody's got a price. That's what I know about Hollywood. All right, so I figure if we can sell enough books, yeah, to bankroll getting the rock, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The rest is then we'll. It's I like mean, it's I guess if we already have right? twenty like, two million dollars, I don't know why we'd spend that on the rock, but. But that's the process. I mean, would you, would you, would you, would you want to spend less for, I don't know, Vin Diesel or something? Oh, the poor man's rock. We could get two Vin Diesels for one rock. <laughs> I think you could get a half dozen Vin Diesels for you a think? rock. Maybe we could do like a full Mrs. Doubtfire um, thing where he just plays every character. Vin Diesel? The rock does. <laughs> oh, Vin Diesel. Vin, what Vin if, Diesel. No, no. What like, if the rock, what if the rock, Dwayne Johnson, was, Dwayne Johnson. was Mrs. Doubtfiring as Vin Diesel? Right. So like the, two feet not shorter. much room for, you know, hair and makeup on that one. Not much of a difference, yeah. you know, bald caps are cheap. Yeah. He wouldn't need one though. Aren't they both bald? 
No, you put a ball cap. It's a different ball. Do you put a ball cap? <laughs> the similarities are different really striking cap. between the two. Like the Doesn't whole conversation. But I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, I wonder if Vin Diesel just hates the rock. Like if Vin Diesel is just like, that should have been me if I was taller and more charismatic and a little bit handsomer. Talented. Yeah. Yeah. More talent. Um, okay. So uh these wow, both sound great. Um uh, I'd like Nick to hear is, Nick is rubbing more. his face like he's been through. <laughs> he's just been through wars. That was a lot. Um, great. So, uh, Ian, we'd like to hear more about Mrs. Doubtfire, please. I will tell you about Mrs. Doubtfire. So, you know, you were just saying, like, if you think about the premise of this story, it's actually kind of creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is this book creepy? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, do you read it in your head as creepy? Could you? Do you know what I mean? Well, the characters, the characters like in, in, in the movie, and I'm not going to go through and like hash out all the differences. That's not interesting. But in, I, I will say Could that in be. the movie, in the movie, Robin Williams puts on his latex mask and he fools everyone for a little while in the book. Mm-hmm. The kids oh, no. immediately figure it out right? Oh, like, no. yeah. right away and they play along. But there comes a really interesting inflection point where the kids are like, this is actually really screwed up. Please don't do this anymore. I'd like to hear about the author immediately. I want to know who wrote this. <laughs> okay. This is uh, the In author's really trauma. interesting. She she wrote <laughs> oh, um, her trauma. She's written. She's written a whole bunch of books, mostly like children's books and young adult books. She's very like she's highly awarded. Um, she wrote her first novel. Her name is Anne Fine. Um, she wrote her first novel when she wanted to go to the library, but truth, Brary, sorry, truth but Brary, she couldn't because there was a snowstorm. So instead she stayed at home and just typed out a novel. That's what she's she like, wrote. I'll write my own so, book. Yeah, if, I, exactly. if I can't get a book to read, I'll write a book to read. Yes. <laughs> Sounds Smart like, move. yeah, I really, I'll really go get her. So she, um, she, she kind of, uh, started, she, 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 she didn't have like a lifelong dream to be a novelist. She just sort of like kind of backed into it and became very, very successful. Uh, eventually she was awarded the or, uh, order of the officer of the British empire. OBE. Wow. That sounds very yeah. important. How important is okay, she? So the, 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 the British people like to ma- call you fancy if you do a good job at things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they have like five ranks and the first two are member and officer. And then the, above that, they get kind of like, they, they sound a little bit like Ku Klux Klan sort of oh, like grand dragon ultra wizard. Like, not, there's like a knight commander and there's like a, it's just like a little bit. Um, so she, there are five ranks and she is kind of on, not at the lowest rank, but she's at the second lowest, yeah. but she is one rank above the Beatles. The Beatles got member, but she got up all the way up to officer. The Beatles got screwed. That's insane. They're like, they are arguably after the Royal family. England's most famous export. Uh, well, probably more famous. Um, what, do you think, uh, wait, what is number one? <laughs> number oh, one, the, grand like dragon, the, the lowest, number two, the ultra <laughs> wizard. No, <laughs> number three is laser. Sorry, Ian, what is the <laughs> laser mage for some reason? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it goes member officer. And then three others. I didn't really care about because she didn't have them, but you're only allowed to call yourself a knight, like, sir, like, sir, this, or sir, that, or if you're a woman, dame, this, or dame, that if you're in the top two levels, like five, four or five, and she's not there. So that's a bummer. Anyway, um, one more cool thing about her is that she used to, um, live in Edinburgh, Scotland, and she used to walk by this thrift store and the thrift store was owned by a woman named Annabella Coots. 
Great name. And good, Annabelle it's a great Coots, name. It's a great name, but wait for it. Annabelle Coots had hanging over her store a sign, and all the sign said was, Madam Doubtfire. Any connection to your book? Well, it turns out that um, uh, Anne Fine, our author, who used to walk by the store all the time. Interesting. Was casting around for a name for her kind of scary, foreboding, stereotypical British woman. And was like, I'm going to steal Madame Doubtfire. And so after she published the book and it was super popular, she was like, hmm, I should have checked with her about that. <laughs> 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 so she went and looked up Annabella Coots and Annabella Coots had been dead for seven years. That's oh, great. Perfect. Fan Not of the show. So she, no, but she's a fine and fine is a fine upstanding citizen. So Anna uh, and fine went after uh, uh, one of um, Annabella Coots's nephews and said, is it okay that I used your, your aunt's name um, for like a, a terrifying turbaned Harridan? And the nephew was like, dude, that's so cool. She would have been so, so happy about this. She would have been she, chuffed. He said <laughs> so. Oh, and she also, she did not like, she did not like the movie. She thought, the movie kind of lost some things. Oh, yeah. didn't really hold up her vision. Okay. So tell us about the book and you said all the differences are boring, but I'd like to hear at least some of them. Okay. So sure. I'll, Do, I'll does kind of, Robin Williams put his face in whipped cream? Uh, yeah. <laughs> tell us about the whipped cream scene. There is, there, is no, there is no Robin Williams in this book because Aww. this book is generally, I would say the movie, even though it's set in Sam, Sam Clem disco, the movie is sunny. The movie is a sunny film. It, mm-hmm. it I mean, it's it's about divorce and it's about like a, a family that's kind of fractured and stuff, but it has a lot of heart. It's got a it's lot got of heart. A lot and of it's heart. got it's got what I like to call hijinks. Oh, okay, cool. They're like there's the the run by fruiting it's like a book term. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, there's a run by fruiting. Let's let's also talk about some other hijinks. The pie thing. The pie, the pie and the thing. whipped cream. Yes, the whipped cream in the face. Her breasts become a focal point at several scenes. Some mm-hmm. really good wordplay. Yeah, breasts. all the voices. His, his breasts. His right. breasts, yes. Right. It's it's a little bit scatological. Robin Williams, is some, his kid walks in on, on him peeing. Yep. You know, There's the mm-hmm. penis joke with the, <laughs> the young child. That was always funny. <laughs> really good. It's, it's a movie. It's a movie that is, it's lighthearted and it's got heart. I would say if the movie is sunny, it's got heart and penis (laughs) and massive boobs. They're called Um, knockers in England. (laughs) Okay. I'll just wait until you guys are. I made you wait for me, so I should patiently wait for you to get this out of your system. Uh, Okay. So, okay. All right. We're totally on board. Totally. You're totally all in. Okay. Um, if the movie is sunny, the book is kind of cloudy weather. So in the book, there are these, there are these things that are kind of concerning. There's like, there's a quail, a pet quail and it gradually, yes. And it gradually dies throughout the book. And there's the main character's son in the book. Um, he has developed a coping mechanism where he hums to himself tunelessly when his parents are fighting and he uses this to comfort himself and tune out his parents. That doesn't sound funny. That's no, it's sad not. And this scary. Is, so the book is some of that cloudiness. Yeah. The book is cloudy. The book is kind of kind of concerning. Not like it doesn't hold up. It's it, the the book is the book is just it's like more of a downer. It's still it's still hilarious, but it's a it's set in England. It's a British book. It's kind of like that wry kind of darker edge humor, mm. darker tinged humor. Whereas the movie, as you know, is. Uh, a hoot and a half. 
so are there any story differences like okay so in mrs doubtfire there is essentially the parents uh split yes. split they mm-hmm. don't get a divorce necessarily but like mm-hmm. they separate he doesn't really get to see the kids right. uh, mm-hmm. you know basically as much as he wants right. and and he's a really good dad but he's not a very good husband right um and then he kind of makes it he gets like a big break and becomes a real man by being able to provide for his family more um this is the story's words not mine and then he does a lot <laughs> of funny voices in order to win back voices. his family mm-hmm. um or more specifically, in order to to get that job, to become a real man. To yeah, better. to become a real man, he yes, has to yes. do those voices. Um, and luckily, he gets his big break and changes the world. So, um, does any of that matter? So, the, the, the book tracks on a lot of that. Like, the, the sort of core idea of couples, like, um, spouses are separated, the wife gets custody, the kids can't see the dad. When is the whipped so cream? He, so he did. In the order up. of that, where's the whipped <laughs> cream? But see, go? this is the thing. Yeah. The whipped cream is a hijink, right? Right. There is no hilarious moment when, when in in the book when he's got to like kind of avoid being okay, caught. So really though, Ian, is this at all funny? Or is this just a straight up story? Right. Like I guess that my question is like, who is this for? Like, this is a hundred and seventy-five page chapter book. This is for kids. Is it is it light? Is it, mm, is it like, yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's really strange. And I think, I think I'm, I'm a little bit limited because I don't know much about British young adult fiction. (laughs) I don't really get British humor. So there might be some in there. I mean, we talked about (laughs) Lord of the Flies. I would say, I would say in terms of, in terms of like kind of being, being a head scratcher, this is on the level of Lord of the Flies (laughs) and, um, and, uh, Catcher in the Rye. Where you've got this, like the book is about divorce and like Mm -hmm. there is, there is some hilarious stuff in the the book, but it's, it's honestly like, Hey, let's, let's tackle the difficulty of a broken home. We're not going to have a kind of a simple solution. This man tries to solve his problem and it goes really, really, really badly. Um, the, the climactic event, you remember in the movie, the climactic event is that sort of like in any in any, any disguise comedy, you're gonna have the time when they're both the they both have to be in the same the place. The same, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. They both have to be in the same place at the same time. In the yeah. movie, this is funny and it's set in uh the the restaurant. Yeah, and he, very humorous. he gets drunk and stuff. It's great. In the book, the main character's side job is not working at a TV station. It's nude modeling for an art class for kids. Great, and like yep. life life painting. Okay, and. That's his main job. Hard to hide your junk there. <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's his job. And, yeah. and he also gets paid for being Mrs. Doubtfire, Madam Doubtfire. Right. Okay, so yeah. in the book, the big kind of role switching scene where he's got to be both at the same time. Oh no. Is he's got to be Mrs. Doubtfire for the family, but also the art class is meeting at the home of his ex-wife that no. he has awesome. to do nude that modeling is unlikely it's it's very i'm like you know what that is unlikely and it goes about as well as you expect which wait is a minute, not wait, well. a minute, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute okay so in the movie version they're at a restaurant and it's yep. this humorous scene where he has to have dinner with two people at the same time in the same restaurant right in the book version he's hanging dong <laughs> <laughs> well he has a little paisley shawl around him but oh okay, okay. Well, that's so good. Or a yeah. 
Yeah. But he wishes it wasn't there. Uh, well, <laughs> no, no. He's very awkward about the whole thing. This is like the only job. Yeah. Get, but yeah. Wow. So it's it's just a little bit. It's a little bit more kind of grim. It's a little bit more sardonic. And honestly, it doesn't end with the same kind of happy wrap up. I don't want to know how it ends at all, Ian. This I'm is, not going to tell you how it ends. I'm just going to say it doesn't yeah, end with no a happy spoilers. wrap up. OK, that, it, do, it does that, have a happy wrap up. Everything works out. <laughs> it's happy uh yes everyone is like you did such a good job as a model we're gonna make you a calvin calvin klein, klein. beautiful white they turn him into calvin klein <laughs> and that's where calvin klein came and from. that's how he I gets think his big break it's it's <laughs> unexpected because i i so i started reading it and then i watched mrs doubtfire again and then i finished reading it and i was like whoa hey kind of some whiplash there the effect of this is that the overt messages are very different the overt message of the movie is this kind of farcical, sort of lighthearted, listening, growing, accepting, it's hopeful. And the book is more about like, hey, in a in a marriage and in a in a family, you gotta compromise. And it's gonna be hard, and you're gonna have to make the best of a situation that's not gonna be perfect for you. In the in the book, like there are whole conversations where people are going back and forth. Characters are going back and forth. Like I, like I want, I don't want to pretend to be happy. I want to actually be happy. And other people mm-hmm. are saying, well, maybe you can't be happy. Maybe marriage yeah. is kind of accepting. And it's like out of context, it sounds like a huge downer, but honestly, I think the book is more truthful yeah. than the movie is because the movie is a farce. Classic Hollywood. Right. Classic the movie Hollywood. is Robin Williams, right? It's yeah. fantasy. It's 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 like it's out there, and and it's weird for me to be saying like I feel like the book <laughs> with a man dressing up as a stereotypical <laughs> British housekeeper is realistic, but yeah. the characters right. and the interactions, real. <laughs> the characters and the interactions are, I think, more logical and more true. Sure. Not real. I shouldn't say real. I should say they feel more true. It's it's a it's a book to help kids. Like, is this a book for kids whose parents have been divorced? And it's like, hey, look, this is kind of how it goes. I think maybe so. Like, I think this book, like if you if you were a kid who had gone through this, you might read this and be like, wow, that is what I've experienced. Maybe not the dressing up as a as a British housekeeper thing. It's what I've experienced. And it gives me an idea about how to move forward. And the movie is just like, I'm going to watch Robin Williams do funny faces. Now, couldn't this also be for maybe the, the husbands out there <laughs> looking to get it all back together again? One whipped cream pie at a time. Nick, I really hope this this episode ends with somebody just running into your recording studio and pieing you in the face. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, the main delicious. character in both kind of lets things slide and he's not, you know, doesn't care, doesn't listen to his spouse and so forth. So I think, I think it's also sort of a call to action. It was a call to action for me. I'm not sure if that's like the way that it's intended, but who cares? I read and I was like, yeah, I, I could pay, I could pay closer attention to, to just, just bringing it, you know, to bringing it, not, not, not letting things slide, not, not sort of taking, taking my wife for granted. Yeah. Not, um, good reminders for, for dadas and mamas too. Sounds I mean, like. it really is. I don't think that's what she was going for. But after after this, reading this and watching the movie again, I was like, yeah, yeah. Because like, you don't want it to be you. You see this, especially in the book, you see how real it is. And you're like, oh, like I can see how a initially positive relationship could kind of fray and fracture. And that's no, that's not good. I like that kind of it's, it's like telling the future and that's a bad future. So try and avoid it. 
You know, this is crazy. I'm looking at a list. I, I, I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this, and it won right. this award called the Guardian Children's Fiction Prize the year it came out. So, like, when you talk about this book, like, it sounds, like, kind of weird, and it sounds like a downer, and we're like, who is this book for? Other Guardian Award winners on this list include um, Philip Pullman for mm-hmm. The Golden Compass, include Watership Down, include J.K. Rowling. It's for like the best children's book yeah. to come out of England right. that year. Like when this book came out, people were like, yep, this is Philip Pullman, Watership Down, yep. Harry Potter. Yep. Like this is yep. an excellent book. Right. It's weird. Yeah. Because it doesn't sound, like it sound it doesn't sound like riveting like those books are. It's 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 an odd duck and I haven't really read you. Here it is. Here it is. You know how in the old days, like uh, old TV shows used to have like very special episodes. Yeah. And the very special episode usually got kind of kind of moralizing. Mm -hmm. This feels like a very special episode. But whereas those tended to be kind of ham handed, kind of kind of uh, uh, excessive and, and way too overt. This feels like. And fine just sort of needed to say something about like divorce and broken homes and and family relationships and 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 this is what she produced and a lot of people liked it quite a bit and it was uh as we say uh, a well-known movie so bookspiration i would say i am bookspired uh, let me to close this i will say my <laughs> i am bookspired wow. um not really ever to deceive any member of my family with a a British housekeeper get up because right. I don't have the voice for it. And I'm also six foot six. I just don't <laughs> think it, that stretches the bounds of possibility. Well, so it, I'm it certainly narrows, you know, the, cause like you're hopefully walking in that situation being like, I hope I look like as many other old women as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, and that I mean, would narrow that, you know, window of believability. I think I would have to have a whole backstory thing. about like ex basketball WNBA. Yeah, yeah exactly. Whole right, right. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So bookspiring, I would say. Very bookspiring. Thank you, Ian. Spy books. Wow. Wait. You did the <laughs> That's the opposite of what a spy, spy would do. Books. You just hey Joe, where's the dead drop? Watch out for the microfiche. Alright, we can do spy books, but just I don't want any James Bond. Please don't, dear God, don't bring a James Bond book. I don't know if no. there's ever been a spy book that isn't James Bond. Is Mission Impossible <laughs> a book? Uh, possibly. Um, I've actually heard people like kind of snooty spy book, spy aficionados say that James Bond is not a spy. He's a murderer. Not a very good spy. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> well, well Wait. today, uh, actually not today, next week, next week. We have we have a full on recommendation themes and books from a, a loyal Lithead, Thomas. This guy brought it all. Like Lidheads, you got to pick up the slack. Some of you suggest themes. Some of you suggest like a single book. Thomas is like, hey, not only should you talk about spy books, these are the two books that you should talk about. Thomas had a vision. Okay, Tom- <laughs> Thomas had a vision for what he would like to see come to life. Um, and, and, uh, and what he wants is, I think, a, a brutal throwdown, right? Thomas wrote into the show and he said uh, he recommended a theme, which is first in the car. And I'm assuming one of you will explain what that is after I'm done reading his note, which said uh, first, a master of historical espionage. Is that an mm-hmm. author? Must yeah, be an so author. first yes. is, is the author that I'll be reading next nice week. Nice job. And the car, a more contemporary master. 
Hot War versus Cold. Suggestions Blood of Victory versus Spy Who Came In from the Cold. Le Carré. Uh, maybe. Well, Le Carré. No, that's, it's definitely, it's definitely Le Carré. It's not Le Carré. I think that's a butter. <laughs> I, I want to see the pronunciation. To make yeah. matters worse, Jean Le Carré was a British guy, and he adopted that French name as his nom de plume. What an asshole. That's this, very confusing. That's very confusing. Well, it's what a spy would do, though. <laughs> it's a smart move. Conceal your identity, bro. That is his classic spy move. Uh, great. Okay, so what are you guys bringing? Clarify that for, for everybody. Right. So next week, I will be reading a book, a spy book, by a guy named Alan. First, it is called Blood of Victory. It's, uh, let me tell you what I know about it so far. It is a hot war book. I don't know what that means. I assume that means that yeah, the Cold do. War has turned into a hot war. And there is a boat on the cover. So Brilliant, uh, I know we talked about boat books last week, but if you want to hear a boaty spy book, maybe next week is the week to tune in. Boaty spy. Uh, I'll be reading uh, a book which has spy right there on the tin. It's called The Spy Who Came In From The Cold uh, by Jean Le Carré. It's uh, set in the Cold War, and mm. I, I don't want to give away too much. It's a really good book. Joseph, yes, we've talked f- we've talked pies, we've talked fruit, we've talked hanging dong. Can you please tell us about? <laughs> Something oh, else. Well, I am about to class up this episode because my Thank book you. this week, Nick, is about Paris. Name something classier classy. than Paris. Very classy. Um, Brit- Britain? Wes Anderson. Mm. Oh, he's pretty classy. Yeah. Pretty classy. He wears, always wears a suit. I appreciate that. The New Yorker. Well, the classiest of them all. The classiest of them. So it's yeah. unbelievable. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We're about to How get How can the New Yorker the be the classiest of them all when New York itself is not classy? Wouldn't the Paris that, Review be classier than, the New, than the, the New Yorker because it's got Paris in there? It's really a neat trick that the New Yorker has pulled off, isn't right. it? Where they're like, well, New York is full of like rats and subways and Quite crime, the, but the New Yorker is full of lighthearted wit and wow. banter and odd cartoons, cartoons like yeah. odd cartoons. Nick, that actually... Ian, I think you stumbled across... Quite a philosophical question. <laughs> Sweet. How well, can the uh, New Yorker be classy if New York isn't classy? Joe, what is your book about? <laughs> well, Nick, I guess I want to start by knowing what you know about two different things. Like, Oof. what do you know about Wes Anderson and what do you know about the New Yorker? That, that's okay. like the area I want you to um, go I've never, okay, starting with the New Yorker, I've never, I've never read an article out of the New Yorker and not because I haven't tried ah that's well the new played. yorker for me and then for, uh what i know about wes anderson is the guy just loves symmetry um <laughs> yeah this is yeah. what i know about this is my only anecdote about wes anderson that before he even gets on set um you know his camera crews all these people on set before he even gets there um they know that before he even looks through the camera to understand what they're filming that day that they have everybody has a tape measure and they've measured everything out perfectly to the centimeter to make sure that everything is absolutely symmetrical, no matter what they're shooting. Yeah, right. So he, like here, Wes Anderson is like this director with this like 
almost persnickety attention to detail. Yeah. Right? Like, like he has a very specific vision and he yes, executes that vision like exactingly, right? Everything is strategically placed. Uh, various directors have calling cards. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Abrams, JJ Abrams for mm-hmm. short. Um, <laughs> Lens I call flares. Him Jonathan because we're close. Lens Jeeps. flares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael Bay explosions. Michael Bay explosions. <laughs> Stan- Stanley Kubrick or possibly Kubrick. Um, we don't know. Abuse, abusing his actors. Like right, everyone's right, got right, right, right. They all have their <laughs> everyone's <thing. laughs> got their thing. <laughs> and Wes Anderson. Oh, that's that's the one thing I know about him. Wes is actually not short for Wesley, uh-huh. uh, or, or 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 another it's, thing. It's short for West. It's West, short for yeah. West. That other he one has, syllable he has, word. There, there were four Anderson kids: North, <laughs> West, <laughs> East, right, and Charbly. Right. It's the it's the Kanye system. Um, <laughs> okay, so Nick, like. Kind of putting those two things together, like knowing what you know about Wes Anderson, knowing what you know about the New Yorker, it's not really a surprise yeah. that Wes Anderson oh, no. likes the New Yorker. These right. are like the two, like if there's a niche, right? And mm-hmm. the niche is formed by two intersecting walls. These are the two walls of that intersecting niche. I got the metaphor. Do I have to read the New Yorker? Because I don't want to read the New Yorker. You, do, you don't so, have to. Uh, it's okay. just like, I feel like it's a little bit ma- masturbatory. Can I can I tell you a, a little a little story about the New Yorker? And I know that's because I'm stupid. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, well, it might be. I mean, may, maybe I'm stupid too because we during the during the Covums, mm-hmm. uh, my spouse and I got uh, free, uh, either free or highly discounted year subscription to the New Yorker, no. and they kept yeah. coming like they once a week or something. <laughs> yeah, and we kept stacking them on the coffee table, and I kept intending I'm going to read these. I'm going to read these. They have literary fiction. They have mm-hmm. incisive commentary. They have what passes for humor and I never <coughs> oh my did. God. No. And so there was by the end of that year, there was a 12 month stack of new of New Yorkums on the coffee table untouched. Yeah. You have to be retired or a filmmaker with who has off 11 months of the year. <laughs> there should be a name for this because I think that is everybody's experience with the New Yorker. Like you can subscribe to the New Yorker really cheaply. It's a tremendous value. It comes yeah, Litheads, when Ian says a 12-month stack of New Yorkers, I'm afraid that you're picturing 12 copies of the New Yorker. But it is not a monthly magazine. It is a weekly, weekly magazine. They publish 47 issues a year. Uh, and so like the, many. It, so like, it is like the biggest unfulfilled obligation in a lot of people's <laughs> lives, I think. Yeah, they're, it's on the list. There's they're a like, stack. this is the thing. This is the person I want to be, right? This is the person I yeah. want to be. And that stack of New Yorkers on the magazine, on the table is telling me I am not that person. It, it's, but it's aspirational, right? Because you have it and you're like, hey, hey, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, a, good, I'm the kind of person who I'm could. I'm a great okay, person. So the New Yorker is all those things that you guys say it is, yeah. right? So like, everybody knows what is, the New Yorker is. Yep. It, it is literary. It is it is whatever. Wes Anderson is obsessed with the New Yorker. I told you the story about him sitting near it in high school. It created kind of a, a little collection addiction. Um, he started collecting old copies because he would like look through these old copies and find things like a J.D. Salinger short story that had never been collected anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like the, the short story that maybe only exists here written by like a phen- phenomenal literary genius. Um, at a certain point when he was an adult, he found out that UC Berkeley was getting rid of a set of 40 years of the bound New Yorker. So they'd been collecting the New Yorker for 40 years, putting them in bind, like in, in 
uh, I, I presume like a hardcover binding. Yeah, um, Wes Anderson binding. bought them for $600, <laughs> 40 years worth. He thinks he has every New Yorker published since 1940 in his possession. And he Jesus. binds his own copies. So like when he gets his 47 issues that stacked up during COVID, Right. Uh, mm. Instead of throwing them all away and feeling the tremendous relief, he goes to the book binder and puts them in a in a binding. I bet they don't. I bet they don't stack up for him. I bet he reads them. Yeah, yeah. He seems like the kind of guy who somehow yeah. has 25 hours in the day and can turn out extremely symmetrical movies and read a 47. <laughs> Wes can do it all. Oh Wes can do goodness. it all. Well, I think that spoilers, I think that's where this is going, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't have to say anything else about The New Yorker. Wes Anderson really likes it. And yep. he wanted to write a movie, uh, wanted to come up with a movie that was his version of a New Yorker magazine, right? A movie that was a bit of a... It, Part of me wants to say like a movie that was a bit of a love letter to the New Yorker, but I don't even think it necessarily is that. I think it's literally, here's a few New Yorker articles that I've read over the years that have been kicking around in my head right, for right. 20 years at this right. point. How can I combine these into a narrative that How can I get works? people to read this shit? <laughs> As part of the preparation for this week, as Ian rewatched the Robin Williams classic, Mrs. Doubtsfire, um, I watched the French Dispatch this weekend, and it was, it's not a straight up retelling of these things, because like the actual collection here is like this weird conglomeration of articles over 70 years of the New Yorker. So like, there's an article all about rats, and like the life cycle of rats, and how they live, and where they live, and um in the vein of John McPhee, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't care about rats. And then you read the article and you say, oh, rats are actually the most interesting thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> There's an article about rats. There's a profile of this art dealer who like sweeps people away in like his excitement and who made his fortune when he realized after World War II, hey, Europe has a lot of art and America has a lot of money. <laughs> I should figure out how to reconcile those two things. There's there's James Baldwin stories about getting arrested in Paris for a minor offense and what it felt like going through that French bureaucracy. Like it's a weird collection of stuff over the years that Wes Anderson has turned into a narrative. Since I guess this is more about the movie than than these random articles, I, I, I sure. guess is the uh, is the movie. Does it like connect all these things in like a big universe? Like, yeah. are, are there any relations between any of these stories that that you read or in the movie? Or are they literally like, no, I'm just going to take these favorite ones that that I like that I thought were the most interesting. And like, I'll, I'll make a movie out of it. Yep. No, no. Beautiful. Um, So like when you watch, um, you know what I'm thinking of? For the first example of that, Jaws have you ever seen the, no, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Have you ever seen that? I have. That's a movie on Netflix that is uh, made by the Coen brothers. That's a bunch of mm -hmm. short stories about, but it's all the same universe, even though the stories are not related at all. Perfect. That, like they all, they're kind of similar in theme. They're kind of similar in place and things like that. But the stories in the French dispatch are more united. Mm. The framing device of the French dispatch is, Hey, there's a team of editors and writers who have to put out a uh, a weekly magazine. Like it's literally the framing. Device. Oh, meta. They have to put out a weekly magazine every week. These are their stories. These and are their get, stories. These Good are their God. stories. <laughs> and the, in the movie, you get like these, uh, 
these writers who are based on New Yorker writers going out and interacting with these subjects and these profiles, which are based on these things that Wes Anderson has collected over the year. And they're united in that framing device of this is going to be an issue of the French dispatch. So are they all set? Maybe this is a stupid question. Are they all set in or connected to French? Yeah. So it's, it's a, you should watch the movie. It's kind of an odd framing device. Um, the French dispatch is the French dispatch of this small town newspaper of Liberty, Kansas, (laughs) (laughs) because it's Wes Anderson. Of course it is. Wes, you done got us again. Well, and, and so they are all set in France. The, the, the published, it, it, it comes from France. The writers are all almost unanimously both in the movie and in this collection of of articles, they're almost unanimously American writers who are living mm. as expats in France and writing about An American France. werewolf in Paris. Right, they're so almost all werewolves. Um, they are oh, almost cool, all cool. also in Paris. Uh, so how many how many articles are in this? There's probably a dozen, a dozen. articles. In and this, then, um, Joe, we don't have the time to talk about a dozen of them. What was your favorite? No. Yeah. So it's really hard to pick because they're all oh, like so different from each other. Uh, probably not. Let's all make rat, rat noises. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe's talks. What, what, what is that? What is that? I'm sorry. Is it a cartoon rat? We are doing. <laughs> that was a rat noise. Brutally honest naturalism. Uh, can I tell a farm story about rats? Uh, yes, you can. <laughs> uh, when I was uh, when I was a kid, I, I was on the farm, and at one point, for some reason, we got a big rat problem on oh, the farm. I love this right? so much. Keep going, it, Joe. It's really good. When you have a rat problem on the farm, here's the problem: because like you, we have cats, right? And cats kill rats. Cats yeah, that's love what you're rats. thinking right now. No, they don't. Cats don't kill rats. Cats kill mice. Rats yeah. are big and mean, yeah. and they fight back when cats attack. Rats are like sometimes the size of a cat. Right. Like rats are massive. In classy New York, they are. <laughs> we had this time in which like we could go out in the barn in the middle of the night and throw on the lights and you could see the rats running across oh, the top of the cat good. pens. Like they would just run one after the other after the other. So for a while, my dad and I would um, load up shotgun shells, uh, oh, 410 shells, and we would- This is going to end poorly. This is going to end poorly. <laughs> All right, really keep going, good. keep going. We would load up shotgun shells, but you can't shoot like a gun in the barn because like there's other animals in the barn besides rats. Yeah. So we would uh, we would load up these 410 shells and 410, as the lit heads know, like they know about guns, obviously, mm-hmm. are like a very, very small shotgun bullet. Okay. We would stuff them full of toilet paper and just put the smallest amount of shot in them, right? Mm. Like we'd put 10 BBs in them and we would go to the barn in the middle of the night with our pump action shotguns. We would throw on the lights and we would shoot the rats, right? <laughs> like, like it would just be boom, boom, boom. It's kind of like loading up with salt. I don't know what that is. Well, it's, it's, it's like basically you're, you're, you're not, you're, it's kind of like non-lethal. It's not going to kill. It right, does like, sound like he, they were killing rats though. So I don't think so. But, well, no, killing, these rats well, definitely rats? were killed. We definitely killed the rats. They definitely died. The cute part of this story is. Oh, good. We're the, getting to the cute part. Go. The gunpowder would make all the other animals in the barn sneeze. So like after oh. you shot all these rats, all the calves were in their pens going, hachoo, hachoo. Nice. <laughs> That's good. Adorable. That's, uh, farm that's, corner. That's that sounds weird. like it could be a New Yorker article. It sounds like it the image like of you and your dad shooting rats with toilet paper shotguns mm-hmm. would be the visual in the cartoon. 
Right. And then the the caption. Let's do a little caption. Oh my contest. god! Oh, little caption. It, little New it, Yorker caption contest. It would be a thirty six page article. That story that Joe just told. <laughs> and like it would, it would use words. Set, first sentence you've never even seen in this your is, life. This is maybe the best thing. Uh, maybe it's the best thing because like one of the things I loved about this uh, this collection is it's like a kind of like Wes Anderson, a weird eclectic collection of articles that are all like pretty interesting in their own right. Yeah. Um, I talked about James Baldwin getting arrested in Paris. I really loved that article. I talked about the art dealer who is like kind of this fast talking, like maybe a little bit of a shyster with all like these powerful American like friends. Um, I loved that article. One of my favorite parts, though, was I learned about a guy um, who was the founder of The New Yorker, who I had never really known about before, a guy named Harold Ross. And do you know how earlier we talked about how like when like like when you watch a Wes Anderson movie, you kind of learn a lot about Wes Anderson as the person like Wes Anderson's sensibilities are really obvious on the screen. His movies are all about himself. Yes. His movies are kind of about like what it's like inside the mind of Wes Anderson. Harold Ross is profiled like three different times in this magazine. I think Wes Anderson might identify with him like like his obituary, like two different obituaries for him are in here written by New Yorker writers like um, friend of the show. E.B. White, um, famous for Charlotte's Web and omit needless words is mm-hmm. a, it writes an obituary of Harold Ross in here. But maybe my favorite part about this is just seeing how much of the New Yorker, the sensibility that still is in all 47 of those issues on Ian's table, how much of that is still just Harold Ross, right? Like how like that dry tone is kind of Harold Ross's dry tone. The subject matter. There has to be somebody who set that in motion, right? That this is the tone of this magazine and it always will be and it works for us and blah, blah, blah. So that's I didn't know that that was Harold Ross. Like how is it like how SNL is? um, I, I love it. Like SNL is is famous for Lorne Michaels, right? Right. Right. No. Like so that's, that's exactly it. So I think maybe that's like my favorite. I, I love a good profile, Nick. And I like am in love with Harold Ross when I read this and like this weird combination that he is of vulgar and pr- a prude. Like he's really vulgar, but he's also like kind of a prude. Um, how he he doesn't call fiction fiction in it ever. He calls it the casuals. Right? Oh it's, goodness! He's like, well, not that's not the fiction section. That's the casual section, and it really is like him that gives the magazine this offhand, chatty. Like I, I know Nick, you're not going to like the word informal because you think of the New Yorker as like these big words in this very smart magazine, and that is kind of what it is. It's like an informal magazine for smart for smarties but you have to be smart enough to yeah yeah of course they would call it informal god that's so pretentious so pretentious isn't it (laughs) oh this old thing (laughs) i really loved this collection it exposed me to a lot of writing that i otherwise would have never read in my entire life it exposed me to authors who i had heard of by name but had never actually read and you got to Mm. dip in and read like a short little piece from them um and it exposed me to the history of the new yorker which turns out to be like this i don't know pretty interesting pretty storied pretty pretty cool world so I didn't realize this was all in a collection, Joe. So you can just mm-hmm. buy yeah, you, you, the French Dish Dispatch collection Right, book. like you can go to the bookstore, your local bookstore, your local Truthberry, and you can find the the an editor's burial, which is a collection of New Yorker articles collected by Wes Anderson. He's curated for you kind of a playlist. Yeah, like, like it, this it's is, kind this of a is, soundtrack. 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it really is. It's kind of a soundtrack for the movie. Interesting. Or a word track. Maybe. A word track. Compelling today, gentlemen. Joe, you lose. Oh, uh, um, yeah, didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> no, I want to hear I about I this dirty, dirty grandma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All wanna, right. Let Joe, it. your book sounded excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was more than one book. So that technically oh, is your disqualification. Yeah, that's tough. That's Ian, tough. Well, it, was the, it was the book inspiration for a movie. I really want to see what they do with this pie scene in your book. So I'm in. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations, Ian. Um, Litheads, I'd strongly recommend an editor's burial, and I would strongly recommend the French Dispatch as well. Um, and if you would like to strongly recommend You Don't Know Lit to your friends, we'd strongly recommend that you do, especially the nerdy ones, especially the bookish ones paid among by them. the strongly recommends. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to hear us talk about something that's near and dear to your heart, you can head on over to You Don't Know Lit Podcast com suggest a theme suggest a book or in the case of next week you can suggest everything you can tell us what spy books you want us to read and it makes our lives easier um because we just we just do what you say um stickers ian do they still exist just stickers still exist i'm send, sending them out routinely so on ask you don't for know yours before they're gone on you don't know lit podcast.com there's a button that says request a sticker and ian will send you a sticker with um a lock of his hair as was established last week mm-hmm. um congratulations ian ian is frantically looking for a quote last right now because he thought there was no <laughs> way he was about to win after my killer presentation Ooh, congratulations yeah. ian <laughs> no i'm gonna i'm gonna read a quote um i talked to you I was looking for a quote about his junk because um, there's some <laughs> some pretty funny passages, reoccurring theme. They're all kind of lo- they're all kind of long. Oh, that's that ironic. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read a uh, I'm gonna read a quote um, uh, from one of these sort of like arguments that the the dad is having with his kids, and they're talking about like the kids are saying, "You're an actor. Why don't you just act happy around mom? That would solve all of our problems." And he's like, "I don't want to act happy because." that would be lying and they're like but you're an actor just do the thing you do and he says some things referring to being happy some things are important people are prepared to suffer for them some feel that way about the things they do better to be a discontented poet said one of the great philosophers than a contented pig the children thought about it i suppose i'd think it better to be the poet admitted lydia after a while so would I, Christopher grudgingly agreed. I'd be the pig, said Natalie, the youngest. I'd definitely be the pig. I like pigs. And you said it was happy. 